Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into today's episode of the Money Insights Podcast. We talk all things money and business. My name is Christian Allen. I'm here with my co-host, Rodney the Pod Zabriskie. Rod, what's up? Hey, I'm doing great. And I don't know how much people care to hear about that with the weather here in Utah. They don't. They, they sure don't care about with the their weather. Own, and it is hot. It's really hot. You're right. Um, extreme heat warnings day after yeah. day, it feels like, right? Nope. Now, here's the deal, Rod. The, the people in Arizona are going to be like, come on, guys. It's like, true. Fuck up. You got it's this. It's true. Yeah, my son is living in El Paso right now. Yeah. And it's what was funny for him, the, the comment he made with the extreme heat warning. He's like, he's like, we were at like 100, 304. We didn't get any excessive heat warnings, but then we did, and it was going to go to 109. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll stop. That's pretty wild, right? So, okay, well, Rod, don't complain, man. You've got AC. Like, just go in your house, put put the AC, pump that AC up. Not too much because we don't want to waste electricity, but to a reasonable degree. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Okay, Rod. Today, uh, I'm excited about our our concept or. That's not the right word. Topic. We're going to be talking about private equity. Before we do that, though, I just want to remind everybody really quick. um, I shouldn't say remind. I should say I want to announce to everybody that we have our next live webinar happening on August 17th. So first of all, thank you, everybody, to everybody that attended. We had a good a good showing for this last one where we did investment optimization 201. We took a kind of a deeper dive look at how to optimize investments surrounding the investment optimizer and less focused on it, if yeah. that makes sense. So it was kind of fun, a little bit of a different um, a different angle to how to optimize things across the board. Um, this next, this next uh, webinar, we're going to be hitting on Mastering Retirement Cash Flow Planning. That's what we're going to be talking about. That's the title of the topic. If that doesn't intrigue you, I don't know what does. I'm excited to hear about it. And I'm not presenting, yep. so I'll actually yep. get to be on the Rod's uh, out. The You're side. out this time. So Blake and I will be the presenters. Um, we're excited about it. We're going to put a lot of time, effort, energy into making sure that it's meaningful, impactful, action-oriented stuff. Sound good? The good stuff. I like it. Okay. Okay. So, but today, our title is Demystifying Private Equity. Yeah. Okay, this is an interesting topic, Rod. We talk about private equity in different forms all the time, but we don't necessarily talk about it by saying private equity. Mm-hmm. So today we want to, well, demystify what private equity is, what it isn't. We're going to talk about pros, cons, you know, the advantages to investing that way. We're going to kind of break down at least at a high level how it works. That way, by the time you're done listening to this podcast, um, Private equity will have been demystified. Demystified. It's a great word. I like it. (laughs) Okay. So here we go, Rod. The first question is, and I'll throw it out to you to kind of give us a general overview of what private equity is. Yeah. Well, we often talk here uh, in this really broad term of alternative investing. I'll often throw in, hey, investing in business is one of the ways that you can do that. Right. And I think for most of our listeners, uh, that would be like their own business. Like you and I invest in our own business, but here what we're talking about is a way that you can invest in other people's business. Um, and I'm sure our, our 
you know, people are approached by friends or family or, you know, Hey, I'm starting up this business. Do you want to become an investor? Um, in this case, what we're talking about with private equity is not that, not, not as more of that kind of closely held stuff as much as investors pooling money together to go out and invest in private companies. Yep. That's right. So the opposite of private would be public, right? Yep. That's the most common way that people invest is they go put money in um, some of the stocks in the S and P 500 or whatever. Yep. This is the opposite. We're staying, we're staying in the private sector, uh, which is of course the things that aren't traded publicly. Um, Rod, let's talk about the kind of two primary elements to, uh, private equity. And oh, actually, before I do that, I just want to clarify one thing. We talked about investing in companies. And when we're talking about private equity, that's exactly that's exactly right. Um, but there are many ways in which that can happen. We're going to go into that in a minute. Um, so if you're sitting there thinking like, well, I'm a syndication investor, that is a mm -hmm. type of private equity. You're still investing yeah. in a, a company, but it's a company in the form of real estate. So we'll get into that in a minute. Rod, talk a little bit about the difference between general partners and limited partners. Yeah, and and I think the this kind of correlation to syndications is a good starting point because a lot of, a lot of people are already familiar with that. Um, in this case, the general partners in private equity are basically the management team. So when this the investors pool their money and they go in and invest in a private company, often and from from my research, most often. Uh, they take a uh, controlling position, especially from a management standpoint, where they're bringing in, in addition to the actual investment, they're bringing in a management team to help uh, build the company, save the company, depending on the, the situation. Again, we'll, we'll talk about some of those different situations. And that management level piece would would fall under the general partner category. And then limited partners is someone who is contributing money but they're not getting involved personally. They're not, they're not offering time resources, you know, expertise uh, in the same way as the general partners are as the management team. Yeah. So basically the GPs are being relied to make the decisions on the investments. So when you're investing as a limited partner, you want to make sure that you're investing with high quality general partners, right? Absolutely. Yep. We often talk okay. about the jockey, right? Yes, more more so, or at least as important as the actual companies that are going to be invested in. You want to be investing with a, a management team that knows their stuff, uh, has built an expertise, and knows what they're doing when they when they jump in and start investing. Yeah, and ideally, you want a track record. Now, that's not always possible, right? People start yeah. at some at some place um, and can be good at good at this stuff. But generally speaking, we would recommend finding people with a strong track record of success, um, unless you want to get really wild and crazy, right? Okay, Rod, let's talk about how the management team is making decisions around the types of investments that they might consider. Okay. So, and, and maybe the process, like what's actually happening, like to yeah. create this private equity firm, because that's normally what happens, right? I've got a general partner, they're creating a private equity firm. The first stage is You've got to raise capital, right? Everybody yeah. knows this. Like if you're around this world, you get emails from so-and-so person that's raising money and they have this deal that's a, that's available. And of course, their goal is to get as many people as possible to fill up that deal, right? Yes. That's yep. the starting point. Now, 
what's interesting about like a more typical private equity firm is oftentimes they they may be going raising capital before they actually have the investment picked out. Yeah. Right. So if you're a private equity firm, they're likely constantly raising capital to then go and place in various places. Now, a mm. lot of our listeners will be most familiar from the syndication route, which again is a form of that. In that situation, they have the real estate property picked out. They know where they're going. You're then saying, hey, I want in on this specific deal. Mm -hmm. In a more typical private equity firm structure, you'd be investing in the firm. They would then go make the actual investment decisions. Okay, so the first, first part they've got to do is raise funds. The second part, this makes sense. You've got to do investment portfolio research, right? That's why yeah. you've got a management team. You've got analysts. You've got people whose sole job it is to make sure that the actual investments um, are things that are that can perform. And I should say this. Now, this, this might be really obvious, Rod, but if I were to ask you, what is the purpose of a private equity um, fund or, or purpose of investing in private equity, what would you say? Well, I would hope that if you're investing, you're expecting some sort of return. That's it. Come in many forms. That's it. Yeah. That's the answer. That's the answer. Okay. So um, in multiple places, they focus on the idea is to create a positive return. However, they also suggest most often between four to seven years. Okay. Yeah. So, so we're going to get into kind of some of the details about how this is different, but you think about that, that is very different than investing in a public company where you might be trying to create returns in three or six months and, mm -hmm. um, and they've got, you know, the, the companies, public companies have to do their quarterly reportings and there's all these things that are happening with yeah, they might pressure pay a on dividend. the way they invest. They might yep. pay a dividend in the private space. That's not the way it works, right? Mm -hmm. Their sole goal is to turn a profit on the underlying investment. So while they may decide to um, push capital back out to investors, if the underlying investment isn't doing what they want it to, they'll just hold it and keep going, right? They yeah. have the, they have the, um, what's the word? The discretion. authority. Yeah. Discretion. That's probably a better word. They have the discretion to do that. Yep. Okay. So first part, raising funds. Second part is, is investment research. The third part, Build, improve, grow, maximize. Build, improve, grow, maximize. That was my that was my best attempt at consolidating all the things that they're attempting to do in this next phase. Yeah. But you know, it kind of makes sense. Obviously, if we're going to create a return, we have to do potentially multiple of these things, but at least one or two of them to create that return. And then finally, Rod, when we get to the full cycle, we are going to they, I should say, are going to sell the portfolio and hopefully create a positive return on that. Yeah, hopefully Pretty a simple, massive, right? massive, massive, big old <laughs> return. Yeah. And can I just tell you over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, that has been a slam dunk, particularly in the real estate side of things. But can I also just tell you from my research, um, in comparison to public, public companies, private equity has done really, really well. And mm -hmm. I actually have a couple of quotes from some research companies to back that up that we'll get into. Sweet. Okay. Okay, Rod, who is private equity appropriate for and who is it maybe not so appropriate for? Well, you might guess, especially because if, if, if you're familiar with the syndication world, that in most cases, it's not just available, made available to anybody, right? So it's going to be in institutional investors, 
and high net worth individuals is generally yep. who will be participating in private equity. Yeah, that's pretty simple. Um, some of the, like we've seen a lot of these, these like real estate syndication um, price points come down or contribution mm -hmm. points come down, but I still am not seeing stuff like frequently below like 25,000, sure. even, even if you're not accredited, that's usually kind of where it's at. So um, most often it is, Absolutely for institutional investors and uh, high net worth individuals. Let's talk about a few of the examples of private equity. So the first one that we're going to talk about is venture capital. This is one that people love, Rod. They get super excited. It has yeah. like, it has like, oh, I'm going to say it. It has some like sex appeal to it. Sure. Right? It's the shiny sure. object of the group. Yep. It's the shiny. Because guess what? You're going for the big returns. You're, you're looking at early startup companies most often. Yep. You're going for the big hitters. That's generally where venture capital is at. And of course, we have these like incredible businessmen that we've seen over the years that are famous for their uh, ability to do venture capital. Like guys like, uh, what's his name? Uh, the Utah governor, what's his name? Uh, Romney, Governor Romney, Bain Capital, yep. right? Yep. So um, that's kind of what they did. They go in, they take over companies or they go in and invest in startup companies and that's that's kind of the name of the game. Yeah, it's okay, usually Rod. companies that have have kind of proven their they, they create uh, kind of proof of concept. That's what they call it. proof of concept. Yeah. Now they just need capital to to add to the fire, make things happen. I've I've talked a lot about Shark Tank. This is this is kind of the the world that they live in, where the company is coming and they're they're saying, hey, we've proven this concept. We need capital to to really take this to the next level, and that's where the the venture capitalists are jumping in. Rod, do you know what a leveraged buyout is? Uh, I I do now. After you uh, <laughs> explain it, to a me. leveraged buyout. You know what's interesting about that is um, it's tricky because when I was reading about private equity, they they some of the articles and stuff would suggest that oftentimes private equity doesn't use leverage. Instead, they raise capital from investors. Mm -hmm. um, but there are situations where, of course, where both of those things come together. In a leveraged buyout, it's just using debt generally to buy out like the whole of a larger company. So it's pretty simple, but those are commonly like the takeovers that your private equity companies. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is they could, they could go in and like you said, they oftentimes are buying out a controlling interest mm -hmm. because of course the, the private equity firm wants to then go and control the underlying asset. Right. Yep. So they buy out the entirety or a significant portion enough that they can create the control that of course gives them the opportunity to make the decisions and turn it for a profit. And leverage buyouts are just generally speaking, larger companies. Uh, okay. We talked a little bit about real estate. We see that all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of the listeners here are familiar with syndication investing. And that's kind of the most typical way that we see private equity and real estate come together. Okay, Rod, talk about uh, number four on our list, which is growth equity. Yeah. So this is a specific segment where the company is, uh, they're poised to grow but they need capital to do it. A good example of that might be like a manufacturer where you need a lot of capital on the front end to uh, to really get to where you want to go. And without that capital, I mean, I guess I, I was almost gonna say you can't get there. You could get there, but it would be a very slow process and you might get passed up by other companies, your other competitors, where as if you have that capital now and you can you can boom, grow now, then then the company can really go somewhere. Yeah, well stated. 
Um, another one, Rod, is the is kind of a fun name. It's the Fund of Funds. People are yeah. always like, what the heck is a Fund of Funds? Well, it's exactly what it sounds like. It is like in this example, we're talking about a private equity firm actually investing in another private equity firm, right? Yeah. They're investing in a different fund as a portion of their portfolio. Kind of interesting, but that absolutely yeah. happens out is there. Is that kind of like mutual fund? A fund of, of a fund of fund of right. In this case, it's a fund of private equity. Yeah, basically, you, you yeah. got the idea. Um, and then finally, raw distressed assets, and of course, you know, the idea is just to purchase a distressed asset, turn it to create a significant profit. Yeah, so, this we get getting back to the whole Mitt Romney thing, right? That was their getting back specialty, to the Mitt Romney thing. Yep, is turning companies around that were struggling but had potential, had you know market share, yes. and if you can just. Mm -hmm do a few things, then that, that was their expertise. And, and there are a lot of companies out there that do that. Okay, Rod, this is kind of a side note, but is it weird that Mitt Romney isn't nearly as wealthy as his Bain Capital partners? <laughs> I'm not even he, kidding. I always thought that he's like have... the most famous of all of them. But like, I was looking at one, this was, this was a few years back, right? I was okay, just like okay. looking at net worth and I was like, what, why is his like 250 million? And theirs are like over a billion. Yeah. He Those may or may not partners. have gotten distracted becoming governor. <laughs> now that, and then running for president. Now okay, a senator. That, I think, that's what uh, did it. I think You're probably right. Okay. Okay. That's a fair reason. Um, all right, Rod, we've talked about, uh, we've talked about the different types. We've talked about um, kind of, the process that the GPs are going through. Now let's get into some of the fun stuff. Let's talk about how they decide where to invest. Okay. So here's some of the questions that a private equity firm would be asking themselves as they're considering what opportunity. So the first thing obviously is they're considering the, in the industry and offering. Yep. They might ask the question, does the business have a competitive advantage? That's yeah. huge, right? Critical. I mean, and, and of course that's us. That's, any investment, we want to make sure that there's a competitive advantage. Um, yeah, are they it, in an emerging industry? Oh, go ahead, Rod. Talk yeah, I was just going to say it could include intellectual property or mm -hmm. or just kind of, again, this leg up on uh, processes or, or things that, that just put them, uniquely put them in a position to do something that, that their competitors can't do. So that being the case, and they're in the position where they need capital, this is where you come in and, and really make it happen. Are they in an emerging industry, Rod? Are they in AI? That's the emerging. So I, actually, it's an interesting one. I, I was listening to Buck's podcast the other day, and he said he was saying, like, how do you invest in AI? Uh, and it is an interesting thing. You can yeah. invest and use AI. The yeah. question is, can you invest in companies that do it? You probably can. Yeah. I'm sure you can. Yeah. Um, anyway, kind of an interesting one. But that's, of course, a big one because... The idea in private equity, and and I'm generalizing, but private equity is generally going trying to outpace, produce better returns than what you could get in the mar in the public sector, um, and so they are looking for emerging industries, things that they again things that could create an advantage, um, and does the product offering have good margins? So just just some of the things that they might be asking themselves um, as they're investing. Okay, let's talk about the company, Rod. Here's some things to think about. Does the company have a sol have solid leadership? And so now what we're doing is we're not just talking about the management team of the private equity firm. Mm -hmm. We're talking about now the leadership of the company that they might be investing in. Yeah. Right. 
both of those things you want to be in a good place. Now they might, if, if the firm's going and buying out the company, that part may not be as important, mm -hmm. but if they're going to have an ongoing impact, um, decision-making, all those kind of things, then obviously you want to make sure that you're investing in companies that have uh, really good leadership track. Record. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Hey, Rod, what's the next remember, remember, uh, probably even a year ago, we had that conversation with the 800 blinds guy. Oh yeah, that was awesome. He and was he great. Talked about anyway. how Home Depot bought them out, but then he he basically became mm, part of Home yep. Depot, right? It was they they kept their own office, they kept their own division, and he continued to run that portion of the business, even though he was now owned by this enormous company. Yeah, that's so, a really that's a perfect example of what we're talking about because they in that situation is interesting. They basically believed in him as much as they believed in the company. Yep bought hit bought the company brought him on and i think he said he was there for five or six years before he retired and you yeah. know left 1-800 blinds slash home depot in a solid position yeah and the so thing that, like that was great to hear about is that he basically told them hey i i know and we're, we're grateful for the relationship but leave us alone just let us do our thing you know you know we could be successful and then they did and then i think they even tapped him for first some help in some other areas as well so oh that's right that's right that was a win for everybody wasn't it yeah that's a cool story uh rod what other questions is the company asking themselves well that is, is there consistent growth right so you you want a company that has experienced growth that has a track record that, again this kind of proof of concept um but looking forward is there still a lot more opportunity for growth and, and it has to be a lot more opportunity right because if you're if you're coming into a company and they're going to experience five to 10% year over year growth, then that may not be uh, like prove out to, to be the kind of investment that you want. Whereas if, if you've seen them and they've, they've, they've had, you know, 100, 200% year over year growth for several years in a row and you say, okay, this is now kind of proving out who they are. And then you can look forward and, and see more years of, of that type of growth or, or more. By, by having this capital investment that that's what you need like that you can't you can't have just the slow steady in this example in, in the private equity world you want to have something that you can help really explode yep well said rod the question the next question is is it profitable or close to and again i'm talking about the company before the buyout uh, again you, you might decide that the goal is because of a great opportunity because mm -hmm. it's in a unique field because of your own unique experience. I'm talking about the management of the, of the private equity firm. They might decide that even if it's not, it could still be a good investment, but in general, they want to have, uh, they want to move into profitable companies. Yeah. And I think you see this most often in the tech world because they're, yeah, there has to be, there's so, it's so intense getting everything built out on the front end um, before it really becomes profitable. And I mean, Amazon is probably the biggest example of this. Where from the beginning, like I remember, you know, way back in, I don't know when they actually started, but right around 2000 and they're like, yeah, we're, we're going to be profitable in 15 years or whatever it was that they were projecting <laughs> yep. out. And that seemed like a crazy idea to continue pumping so much capital into it. But the vision was there. The reason to believe in its success was there. And then obviously we all know, you know, what it's doing. Yeah, it, it's clearly incredible. Yeah, so. that's a really, that's a really good story, um, win story. 
Okay, Rod, finally, is there sustainable cash flow specifically for buyouts? But of course, that's important across the board. Okay, Rod, since we have a bunch more material, I want to jump right into the next piece. Okay, management team. Rod, can the management team be trusted? Mm -hmm. This might be the most important question you could ask yourself as a potential limited partner investor. Now, and, and again, the same thing could apply like as a, as a, as a general partner, when you're looking at the company that you're potentially investing in. Yeah. But, but what we're kind of trying to focus on is, is the general population, (laughs) I say general, but the limited partners who are going to be most of us that invest in these types of things. Um, So you want to make sure that you're investing with general partners. Again, we talk about a track, the track record. Um, That's as much about their success or it's as much about knowing that they can be trusted or honest, transparent as it is about the actual uh, kind of track record of growth. Yeah. And, and then and even beyond the, like the, the honesty and that, cause, cause that's obviously critical. Can they be trusted inside of the world that they're wanting to invest in? Right. In other words, do they have the expertise, the know, the, the knowledge, yeah. the experience, hopefully, so that when they're coming to you and they're saying, hey, we're, we're raising capital as a private equity firm, and especially if they're right on that front end where you talked about step one where they're raising capital, now they haven't already gone out and found the companies that they want to invest in yet, right? They might have some ideas. They certainly hopefully will have some clarity on industry and, and type. Yeah. And these, these are the targets that we're going after. And then when, when you look at the plan, and then you look at the management team, can they deliver on the plan? That's basically what you're looking for. Yeah, it's a great point. And most firms are going to have some sort of specialization, right? Like Absolutely. when we talk about, we talk about raising funds, then doing like some of the investment analysis. Um, most often you're going to have a, uh, a fund who specializes in a segment, right? Yeah. That's just yep. generally how it works. Yeah. And you're relying okay. on them to be successful inside of that segment. So yeah, you you're, know... you're going in there believing they have more expertise than you do. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, Rod, are the right people in the right place to ensure long-term growth? And you talked about this before, right? You just talked about this. Like, so we have the we have the management team, but it's gotta be it's gotta be experience across the board, right? So um, it's not enough to look at one person, right? It's a you've got to actually look at the team. And feel like, as you said, that team has enough experience, knowledge, um, know-how to be able to actually deliver and produce something of that's successful. Yeah, that's a great point because the the point person is obviously very critical, or, or at least kind of like that that the head, the top of the organization. But the actual people that they're putting in place to go out and and run or assist, or however that's going to work in, in that relationship with the company. Those are those people are just as important because they're making the day to day decisions and, and really kind of ma- making the the sun. The, okay, Rod, I just want to make a quick point here. We had, um, do you remember we had Troy Eckert on a year yeah. or so ago? Yep. And Troy made this point, and I've kind of thought about it a few times since then, but he made the point that because of like the day and age that we live in, it's really, it's really, 
it's kind of on us if we don't know what what we're getting from the general partner from our management team, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. we can Google people really quick and get a good idea of what's happening. If if there's any shade around them, like you'll usually find it relatively quickly. Yeah. So I, I guess the point I'm making is just that not that it's inexcusable because there are some crafty people out there that run some schemes, some schemes that are pretty sophisticated, but for the most part, we can just by doing some very basic uh, taking some very basic steps and doing some very basic due diligence, we should be able to make sure that we can get these couple of things right. Yeah. And even if, even if you're not seeing the shade, you should at least see some successes, right? See their name showing up in the industry and, and right. And if you don't have any positive, then that might be a good indication. But of course, if they have negative stuff going on, like that's probably an even, an even more powerful indication that you, um, ought to go a different direction. The next thing that they're doing when deciding where to invest is they're considering the return on investment, right? So here's a couple of things to keep in mind. Higher risk usually means higher reward. Doesn't always, but yep. again, as a general rule, there's more opportunity when that happens. Go big um, or go and home. Given the, yes. <laughs> okay, go, go big or go home. That's the, well, that's not, not actually the mantra among all... <laughs> All private equity firms, but there are probably some that definitely uh, live by that mantra. Especially among the Allens. I've been around you and your brothers enough to know. Yeah, we're going bigger, going home. That's true. Okay, Rod, now that we've talked about the management team, let's just kind of finish by talking here about debt financing. And what I mean by that is the question is, did debt play a significant role in the transaction itself. And obviously in this situation, we're talking about a leveraged buyout situation where we are using debt, but this just goes back to what we always talk about when we're having the conversation around leverage, Mm -hmm. right? Leverage is the most powerful wealth building tool. I believe having said that it also is the tool that could, can get you in the trouble the fastest. Sure. So that's why we always use that mantra of conservative leverage. And I think the same thing applies, right? Using leverage is powerful. Make sure that uh, it's being used appropriately. Um, and that's exactly what's happening at the management level when they're considering whether to actually invest in a company. Okay, Rod. So we've talked a little bit about um, what the private equity companies are looking at when they're determining how to invest. Let's talk a little bit about the advantages and the disadvantages to investing in private equity. So start, Rod, with number one, which is return potential. Yeah, you have to believe that you can create a large return. And and this is going to be, especially in comparison to, because we talked earlier about the difference between private equity versus publicly traded companies. And if you're investing in publicly traded companies, absolutely, you're hoping to get a return and you'd love nothing more than to see large returns on a regular basis, right? Absolutely. The fact is that these private equity, the the types of companies that private equity is investing in are obviously pre-private or pre, sorry, they're (laughs) pre-public because they're so private. And therefore there's more growth potential. There's more opportunity to create larger returns in that world, that's really what you're looking for, what what your management yeah. team is looking for when they're deciding who to invest in. I think it's a really good point, right? Once you've gone to an IPO and you've gone public, that does mean you've had a significant measure of success and growth yeah. already. So obviously starting um, earlier on the growth curve gives more opportunity to, to grow it. Yeah. Um, okay, Rod, I mentioned earlier that I would just give a little bit of proof. So I was reading a study, according to a detailed report from McKinsey, They said, according to their quote, private equity continues to perform well 
outpacing other private market asset classes and most measures of compar comparable public market performance. Um, it was an interesting study. I went through it myself in a little bit of detail and it was kind of validation for kind of the things that we talk about so frequently. Yeah. Um, but I just thought for other people's benefit, uh, there is a lot of social proof. That's not the only place you can find a lot of social proof that suggests that private equity in most cases is outperforming um, the public markets. And it's, you know, primarily because Makes of the sense. reasons that we've talked about. Yep. Okay. Rod, talk a little bit about the second piece, which, which is really, you know, a, a powerful component, especially if you're a limited investor, you want to get in the private market, but you maybe don't have the experience. One of the things that's a huge advantage is the ability to rely on business guidance. Yeah. And we talked about uh, the jockey again, right? Mm -hmm. So you're relying on this management team for their expertise. And what's interesting is I would say this is true both for the limited partner, but I would also say it's true for the company itself. Now you, you want to have a company that already uh, does well, right? We talked about this. You, for sure. you want to have yeah. leadership that knows what they're doing. And yet, if you could have this management team that has expertise, has uh, knowledge and experience working in this industry, and they're bringing that to the already successful company team, that is going to allow them to see things and know things that, that they wouldn't know if, if private equity didn't come in and invest with them. So I think on both sides, that management, that business guidance by the management team is enormous. Well, and they're going to have specific areas of expertise, right? Yeah. So if I'm somebody that wants to invest in um, dental startup companies, yeah. and I'm like, this is a really incredible opportunity, I could just go try to find dental startups. It's going to be tough, right? Yeah. But what what would or what could make a lot more sense is to is to work with a private equity firm whose focus is on buying up dental practices to take advantage of that opportunity. So that's a great point. Um, relying on business guidance is really powerful because you're, you're basically saying um, I can get the type of expertise and returns that these people are getting without having to do all having to gain the expertise that they already have. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Rod, the next one, management doesn't have to worry about quarterly performance. And I hit yeah. on this a little bit earlier, but this is a big deal. We talk about this all the time when we're talking about life insurance companies, yep. right? How one of the advantages that they have, especially particularly, particularly mutual life insurance companies, as opposed to stock companies where they don't have to go out there putting, you know, saying, Hey, this is how well we did. And, mm -hmm. and then having the entire public basically judge them for that very short period, which of course is a massive advantage because you can take a longer term approach, yep. right? And that's one of the things that's happening. So um, for me, that's always been like a like a, a big one. And, yeah. and I think the reason it is, is because I like to have a little bit more control. And even if the management team has the control, it feels better to know that they have some control, can make good decisions, and that they're not having to just kind of try to prop things up um, with... I don't know. There's all sorts of like fake moves that these companies can make to make yeah. it appear as though things are going better than they actually are. Yeah. And those kind of things scare me uh, happens all the time in the public market. Yeah. And, okay. and that's where we go back to the whole thing about trust, right? You have to have yes. a team that you can trust because then when you do take that longer term view, you, you feel confident in, in their ability to, to make it happen. Okay. Finally, Rod, one of the advantages is that there's increased flexibility in comparison to the private market. 
Um, and not only for the investment, but but the reality is, is that the private market, just by nature of what it is, is mm -hmm. massively larger than the public market, right? Yeah. Now, that, that's kind of interesting to think about because the public market is probably still more accessible, but right. it's obviously not nearly as diverse and large, right? We have people creating companies everywhere. That's what the, the private sector is. So the benefit is, is that we have flexibility and we have increased options, places that we can go to invest that are uh, potentially more specialized, uh, working with people that have more expertise than what I can get inside of a publicly traded company. Absolutely. Yep, well said. Are there any advantages, Rod, that you feel like I missed? No, I, I think we hit on, yeah, the... Okay, Rod, now that we've talked about the advantages, let's make sure we hit on the potential disadvantages and there are disadvantages. Okay, yep. the biggest one, maybe that's not the biggest one, but in my mind, the biggest one for some people is that it's just not a level playing field, right? Yeah. Um, and what I mean by that is earlier we talked about who generally invests in private equity. We talked about it being institutional investors and um, high net worth individuals, yep. um, accredited investors. We talk about that all the time. And while the barrier to entry has has gotten easier for people who maybe haven't reached that, that point in time yet, um, it's still not a level playing field. And there's absolutely more opportunity available to you once you become accredited. So that can be a good goal if you're not already. Um, Rod, another potential disadvantage that many people suggest is there is that higher return opportunity generally means that there's more risk. Yeah. Um, and that's always true, right? Anytime you're you're shooting for the stars, there's a potential to do. I say that's always true. Maybe that's not a fair statement, but that's generally true. Yeah, because, well, that's that's one of the reasons why we talked earlier about like the fund of funds, right? You want to diversify across yeah. different, even if you're even if you're sticking to the same industry, diversifying across different management teams, different companies, uh, because if if any one of them hits big, then then you're in good shape. Um, but if you go one or two or three and and you just kind of strike out, then then you're obviously in bad shape. Yeah, that's a problem. Here, uh, talk about liquidity. Uh, Why is that liquidity, a challenge? That's, that's always the big thing we talk about because we don't know the timing. We can hope and we can, uh, you know, for planning purposes, go in with, with a plan. But, but you have to plan on that money that you're putting in with private equity being stuck there for a long period of time. Five to seven. I always go in at five to seven years. That's just the way I think about it. Even if... The, the pro forma, the other plan says it might be in two or three or even five. I just always think, okay, that's whatever they tell me, I'm going to add more to that for planning purposes. Uh, and for especially in this case with the liquidity, because if I'm going to need that money sooner than that time frame, it, I can't, I can't invest. Well, and it is very different than a public company, right? Because yep. if I invest in mutual funds or stocks, those are very liquid. I can... Yep immediately move them in or out, have somebody else buy them and um, turn my investment back into cash. Yep. That is not the case with private equity, which again is why they require more money on hand, right? They're worried about getting sued by people who don't have the liquidity on hand and end up in a, in a bad financial situation. Yep. Um, among other things, that's just one example. Okay. Another, another disadvantage or potential disadvantage is that because of the, um, because there's less regulation, there's also less 
required transparency. Now, yeah. I should clarify, that doesn't mean that there's not transparency, right? right? You, the ideal is that you're working with, again, we keep going back to the management team, general partner team who is extremely transparent, but the required transparency does not reach the level of public companies. And that's yeah. kind of the thing I want to hit on. So this is a potential disadvantage, not necessarily like always a disadvantage. Yeah. Right? And that's what's funny about it is because it's the other side of the coin. We talked earlier about quarterly reports can be a, a, a bad situation on, on the publicly traded companies because they have to look good, right? Yeah. That's they always it. want to look good. Um, and in this case, the, by not having those, those uh, quarterly reports, you have less of a view of a current view of what's going on. But then we talked about the flip side of that is, is that that can actually be good for you. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Anyway. Okay. And the final potential disadvantage is that there can often be higher fees. Okay. Now let me tell you how I feel about this fee situation, Rod. Here's my take. Um, my take is that I would absolutely be happy to pay a higher fee to get a higher return. Mm-hmm. And I know this sounds, maybe this sounds crazy, but I don't care if I'm paying someone an exorbitant fee, if I'm getting a better return than I would get otherwise right now, that's not, you you can't make that definitive decision or, or you don't have that knowledge. That's probably a better way to say going in. But again, we have all of this due diligence we can do to say like, what's the track record? Like, obviously if there's no track record of turning performance, then I'm certainly not going to take on higher fees. Mm. Okay, we've all heard about the famous hedge funds that are like the, the the common fee structure is two and twenty, right? Two percent of the underlying is the underlying management fee, and twenty percent of the growth of the mm. entire fund is going directly to the general partnership. Like that's pretty incredible. Um, I've even heard of some really good ones doing as high as like four and forty. Wow. So can you imagine forty percent of the potential growth? Why would you do that? Well, here's why. You would do it because you believe that giving them that 40% um, profit still produces a better return than you would get by, you know, giving somebody a lesser fee. And so my belief is kind of like the, the underlying return to me is a lot more important than the fee that I'm paying to get it. Yeah. It's the essence of capitalism. You want them to be motivated to succeed. Yeah. Have real success because if they don't, then they don't get as paid as much, if anything, either. Yes. Now, on this flip side of that, obviously, you're not going to pay high fees to somebody that doesn't have a great track record, right? right? So the reason that those that those and I'm trying to remember the name of it, it's not coming to my mind, but um, one of those kind of famous hedge funds that did the four that do the four and 40 Mm -hmm. that are, you know, take 20 million to get into it, that kind of thing. Um, Again, the reason they're doing it is because they're producing consistently. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Okay, Rod, those are, uh, well, here's the question. Did we demystify private equity? I think so. Do you feel like you've, it's like it's been demystified for you? The mystification around it is is gone. Okay, Rod, so now that we've talked about the potential, ad, the potential advantages and disadvantages, let me do a quick recap and we'll close things out. That's good. Okay, so we talked about, obviously we've talked a lot about demystification. We talked about what private equity is. We talked about the four basic stages of how it works. We talked about who it's appropriate for. We shared six or seven examples of private equity. Uh, We talked about how they decide, how the management teams go through the process of looking for the underlying investment. And then finally, we hit on the pros and cons. 
of investing primarily as the limited partner. Maybe we'll take another one and do it from the general partner perspective. Uh, but man, this has been fun. I thought this was a, a good activity to take it to just kind of run through the ins and outs of private equity. We hope that it's been interesting and helpful for our audience. Rod, do you have anything to add before we close it out? For me, the mystification is gone. So thank you for that. Beautiful. Okay, game, set, match. Thanks everybody for hanging out with us uh, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth-building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.